if you want a good experience, you have to work at having a good experience. You can't just sit on your ass in your home and assume that magically you're gonna have a great life experience. That's just not how it works. That was a clip from today's guest, Megan Smith from Melody Note Vintage. When Monica and I were first talking about bringing in different voices and people who are gonna have different takes on leadership, the idea is not always to have, let's say some corporate leader or you know, uh, people that would be from spaces where you're like, oh yeah, that's like someone you expect to write a book on leadership. Like, yeah, that's cool, of course. But business owners, people who, who forge their own paths, and of course, you know, people who come from the punk scene to the hardcore scene is like near and dear to my heart. Uh, before we get into it, please subscribe, rate, review, share, do all that good stuff. I'm Aram Arslanian, and this is One Step Beyond. Megan, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Heck yeah. All right, so for the uninitiated, for those who don't know, who are you and what do you do? Uh, some people know me as Megan Smith, and I own a vintage store in Palm Springs called Melody Note Vintage. Some people know me as Ida Slapter, and I was involved with the Rat City Roller Girls. And then there's a whole separate section of people that know me as Megan from Empty Records. So uh, most of these people do not even know my last name in that instance. That's a pretty good uh, summation of who I am. So you've been involved in a lot of subculture stuff. like I'm obsessed with youth and teen subcultures in general. So how did you get into it? Like, Tell us about like what was your first kind of entry point into, because I know so much of your story is based in like music and like kind of the punk scene. Like, What was the entry point for you? I really wanted to go to my first punk show in like 83 and I think it probably, I didn't get the nerve up to actually go until maybe late 83, 84. I mean, punk rock is scary at the time, right? I think punk rock now is not scary. When I first heard about punk, it was like, you know, I was a little, 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 course, little yeah. kid. And maybe it's through the eyes of youth. I was like, holy shit, like this, these are scary people. And of course, now it's like I'm older. Maybe it's age has caught up with me. Maybe the scene's caught up with you. But yes, when I go to a punk show, I'm not like, oh my God, I'm more like, oh, I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, hopefully the opener doesn't suck. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think that, um, I think by 14 or 13, I was like, okay, there's a punk scene in my town. I'm gonna find somebody that wants to go to a show with me and I'm going to go to a punk show. What was the attraction? I mean, I think that's for everybody, right? You look at like REO and Journey and Air Supply and you look at what's popular at the time and you are like, is that for me? Is that the music that I'm going to listen to? And then you start to go, oh, there has to be something else out there for me something that feels like me. Like, you know, when I interview somebody to work for me, one of the stipulations is you cannot play the song Africa in the store. And like, <laughs> that's an interview question. It's not even a question. It's like, I will fire you. I will actually fire you. And so when you have a brand, like uh, that, then that is on everything that you do. The music in the store, how you talk to people, how you act, how you treat people, it's everything. So I think I was a little afraid to go. And in the end, it's like, this is the dumbest thing. So I went to the show with a friend of mine. Our, we lost our ride somehow. And the opening band from Kansas City drove us, drove to like 
13-year-old girls home in a band van the total opposite direction, didn't do anything nefarious, and drove us and dropped us off and we're like, you got keys to your house? Are you cool? That is my entry point into punk rock. And like, I just dove in. And you're from Omaha? I'm from Omaha, Nebraska, and I moved to Seattle in 1988. Whoa. So I had really good timing of like, getting to see all the Minneapolis sound stuff, all the hardcore bands, which the Midwest is its own thing because a band might only come to one place. So you're meeting people from Kansas City, you're meeting people from Chicago, you're meeting people from Lincoln and places in Iowa, Des Moines, that are all maybe converging at one show. Suicidal Tendencies is not gonna go to every po-bunk town in the middle, but in the middle of the Midwest. They're gonna go to one spot and everybody is con gonna converge in that one place for a night. I know for me that idea of like driving six or, or eight hours to see a show sure. to watch a band play for 30 minutes sure, or like 20 minutes sure. and then drive all the way back. That was just totally normal for my friends and I when we were kids. It'd be better if you could try to see them in the next town a little closer if you could like get two shows out of it but you know. But that's not the normal teenage experience of, of like going on these super long road trips and like going to these intense things, seeing bands for 30 minutes. Like that idea of the mobility of people going, all converging in one place just to be a part of something for 30 minutes or 45 minutes. Well, hopefully they're playing longer than 30 minutes so that you don't jump them out in the parking lot when they <laughs> leave with their shit, right? But depending that, on the band, right? Depending on the band. But that idea of like the mobility and like that seeking of culture, like what was it, what what did that do for you when you were young? Like that kind of all in, like, of course we're gonna drive to go see a show, do that. Yeah, I'll still do that now though. Um, like that's not that weird to, for me to drive three hours to see a band. I do it less because of the pandemic, but yeah. oh, I used to fly across the country to go see bands. Totally. If you want a good experience, you have to work at having a good experience. You can't just sit on your ass in your home and assume that magically you're gonna have a great life experience. That's just not how, it works. Well, I feel like I think you hit on it. Like, uh, not, and I don't want to say this is exclusive to like punk or hardcore, but like a lot of people from punk and hardcore are seekers. They're seeking something. Oh, they're yeah. like going out and making it happen. Yeah. While you're involved in punk and hardcore, what was the entry point into vintage? Oh, I mean, you don't want to look like anybody else, right? It's the it's the early '80s, so everything mm -hmm. is pastel. Um, and fluffy and girly and lacy, and that is not at all. So, you know, it's the Midwest, it's mm. cheap, right? So like I used to go to thrift stores, would be like the 10 cent rack, the 25 cent rack, the 50 cent rack, and if something was $2, you'd be like $2. <laughs> but I made 3.35 an hour. So that's almost two, you know, it's like an hour and a half of work, I, you know, or l less than that, right? So I think, you know, you you buy 40s black dresses and you cut them really short, or you're buying, you know, 70s maxi dresses and you're cutting them into minis. I mean, I destroyed so much cool clothing because there's tons of it. The 70s is not that far away from like 84. Like it just happened. Yeah. So, I mean, I destroyed bell bottoms that people would kill for now because they were had schlitz on them, but you're not going to wear a bell bottom. You're a punk rocker. You're going to cut them off and you're going to make them into shorts. Right, right, right. I had like every weird beer shorts <laughs> at like 15. That's a part of it, right? Yeah. It's just like going into really bad parts of town that like your parents would freak out. And honestly, like, 
if you're from the Midwest, you kind of learn like, mind your own business, leave people alone, let them do what they're doing. Most of the time they will let you do what you're doing and you go about your business. And I've never really had that much of a problem. You know, if you know how to be respectful, you can go into different cultures, you can go into different neighborhoods, acknowledge the people that are there, say hello or good morning, nod. Most people will leave you alone yeah. overall. So you're out there, you're you're seeking out music, but you're also seeking out clothing and, yeah. and, and part of that whole thing. How did you end up going from Omaha over to uh, Washington? To get away from my parents. Okay. That was like as far, you know, you reach a point where it's like, your parents will be like, well, we'd love to get a key to your apartment. And you're like, why would I give you a key to my apartment? Like, I'm going to come home and you're going to be in my apartment. So I drove as far away and I just got really lucky. I moved there in 88, like right out of high school. Mm -hmm. And um, the grunge scene was literally just about to happen in another, you know, year or two. I just got really lucky to get to have those experiences for five dollars or yeah. whatever which is know? so crazy that you were seeing these shows for five dollars people like people will say something along the lines like that's i'm never gonna have experiences like that and it's like you're gonna have really cool experiences totally. that i'm never gonna have because i'm older yeah. and i'm just not gonna have those like if you decide that somebody else is having a cooler experience than you you're dead in the water already totally. right totally. which gets into the not being open to experiences like if we sit right here and just watch the world go by, we're not gonna have great experiences. If you want to have them, you have to go like foster friendships, go put, make yourself uncomfortable. Um, and sometimes things suck and then you're like, okay, this sucks, we need to leave, right? Yeah. And knowing that boundary for yourself. But even sucky experiences can end up being, when you're with your friends, they make a good story or something totally. funny that you tell five years ago and that makes you a more interesting person. But totally. as far as like, you know, you want to look different. You want to be different. Maybe that's not the case now because like maybe you come into punk rock and you're like, well, I'll just go to Hot Topic and I'll get like a stud bracelet and then I'll like do my hair. If that is not available to you, right? If the only way you can get weird clothes is by like sending away for a catalog that's photocopied and, and piling over this and like trying to figure out, okay, I think I can come up with like $40 to get a pair of monkey boots. That's what you do, right? Yeah. I mean, it's harder, you have to work at it. It's more difficult than like just going to the local store. Yeah, totally. When I'm talking about like my experiences when I was young about like ca getting catalogs like from record labels yeah. and like whatever, you know, like distros we'd order from or any of those things. Like there was a certain, like even as you were talking about like getting this photocopied thing and I wanna get these boots and I have to figure it out. When you're saying that, I was like, oh, I look back with such fondness of those times and not it's just reading being, the Becca Maxwell rock and roll yeah. and being like, okay, this band describes themselves as listing every band I love, but you're going to send away for a record <laughs> that might not sound anything like those bands at all, but, or you're going to join a band because they are like oh, MC5 yeah. and negative approach and a bunch of other stuff. And you're like, oh, I like all those bands. Like, that can be a cool band or the shittiest band totally. ever. And you have to take that risk of like, okay, I'm gonna send this dipshit $5 and hope that he has his shit together to send me a record, know. you know? Which, I mean, I've definitely sent money to somebody where I'm like, I'm never gonna see 
that again. Yeah. Like it's never gonna happen. But I love that. Like what I like everything you're saying. I'm like totally like to work at it. We have to work at it, but also you've got to take a like a leap of faith. You just gotta like yeah. go out and try stuff. But all of that stuff. It, when I think about it now, I don't want to ever say like, you know, if a younger person is watching this, it's like, oh, well, because you have more access to stuff, you have a lesser experience. No. It's just a different experience. No, it's a different. But, it's, you got to work. You can't sit in your house, though. Totally. But it was magical having to hunt things down. Oh, yeah. You still have to do that now. I mean, so now when I go to like house shows or underground shows uh-huh. at the age that I'm at now, I just pretend like I'm somebody's parent. If you walk in with that attitude of like, yeah, I'm the drummer's mom, like get the fuck out of my way. <laughs> no one questions like, why are there old people at the show? And you, you know, you'd go to shows and there'd be somebody like 30 there and you'd be like, what is a 30 year old doing at the show with all these like 21 year olds? And it's like, maybe they're here because they really like music, right? Yeah. That is not how your 21 year old brain or 22 year old brain works but now that i'm in my early 50s if i want to go to a show and somebody has their entire backpack full of beer and they're smashing into me i'm like hey like i'm trying to see my kids band stop hitting me with your beer they're immediately like oh sorry here let me get out of the way my opinion on all ages shows is different now or the way i come at it is different like i remember when i was like 16 or 17 i was like all ages shows because i wanted to be able to go to the show and now i'm like no, all ages shows. Like, it's okay that I'm here. I'm in my late 40s. Yeah. Remember, it's all ages. Um, but if there's a band that you want to see that's opening for another band and uh, that's where they're playing near your town and you want to see them, that's still a life experience, totally, right? I mean, totally. I haven't been to a straight edge show for a while, but I went and saw a band that I love that opened up for Power Trip. I'm not a Power Trip fan, but yeah. I don't care. And I literally said to my boyfriend, he's like, why would I want to do that? And I was like, well, we're going to go see Destruction Unit. That's why we're going to go. All the kids were like, what are those two 50-year-olds doing at this show? Okay, so you moved to Seattle. 88. 88. So you make make the leap there. What were you doing when you got there? Bullshit. Like, you can't have a part-time job in Seattle now, Mm -hmm. but you could, like... You, if you wanted to write shitty poetry and like pull coffee and work 20 hours and like play guitar, you could do that. Yeah. Or like be in a shitty band. But like any art takes time, right? Mm-hmm. So like painter, guitar player, like whatever it is that you want to do, fashion designer, whatever it is, you need a job where you don't have to work 50 hours a week so you can work on your craft. Yeah. Seattle used to be a town like that, right? And also like it rains a lot. You've got better musicians, better painters, better writers because they're in, they're stuck in their house. Yeah. I mean, name a shitty job. I've had it. I've pulled coffee. I've worked retail. I took care of Alzheimer patients. Um, I've worked in offices as an adult. I had a really good friend of mine that started a small record label and worked for him and met another guy. And, you know, you just, you start meeting people. They know you know about music and you know how to talk to people. And, you know, no one has the internet, right? So, like, when I explain to somebody, like, Here's how you book a tour with a fax machine. That is like, what? And they're, they're like old punk guys that are like, oh, you used to book a tour with a phone dialer. Yeah. Do you know what a phone dialer mm-hmm. is? Okay. Someone has a credit card that their dad doesn't use and you use that to book a tour. That is not how the world 
function. When I did the pre-interview, one of the things I was talking about was the fact that normal offices, normal business leaders think that punk rockers are the least responsible people. But in reality, they're usually the most creative, know how to do the most with the least amount of money, know how to think outside the box to actually get shit done. It's just they have a preconceived idea about what punk is that they can't get over that for themselves to realize they could save money and have something more interesting if they could just open their mind a little bit. Yeah, and I noticed that a lot when I worked in offices. Yeah, especially that idea of kind of like figuring it out yourself, doing things on a shoestring budget, all of that. So at what point did you go from working kind of shitty jobs or maybe you kept working shitty oh, jobs? Oh, I shitty jobs. But what point did you start doing uh, music as like a, your source of income or a source of income? 94, and which seems like a really long time ago now, but I think I still own clothes from 94, so maybe it's not really, but. Uh, and were you doing vintage at all? Like to get yeah, at that point? so I started selling vintage kind of on the side in probably like 88, 89, yeah. as just a way to like make rent, yeah. right? So, um, I mean, from that creative like, okay, rent is due in, 13 hours. Okay, you have eight hours to make rent. Now, how how are you going to do that, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, I always tell, like, our kids, like, the first thing that you always buy when you get paid is a bag of potatoes. Now, they don't understand that, right? Bag of potatoes are shelf-stable, and when you don't have any more money at the end of the week, you can do a lot with a bag of potatoes, which I think at the time was, like, 279 or mm -hmm. 250 or whatever for a bag of potatoes. You have some basic seasoning and a little bit of butter or whatever it is that you use, olive oil, you can feed yourself for that next two days or whatever. So I probably would not be selling vintage without punk rock mm -hmm. because I didn't make a lot of money. I mean, we ran a shitty punk rock record label. No one is making a lot of money, um, which you know. So yeah, so I would, I started selling vintage to pretty much every vintage store in Seattle. And it finally took me to like, into my 40s where I was like, why are all these people making money off of me? Like, they're not any smarter than I am. And that's a really hard confidence mm -hmm. thing to get. Like, you started your business and there has to be a moment where you're working for somebody else and you go, they're not more creative than I am. They're not smarter than I am. And they don't actually know anything mm -hmm. more than what I know. Why can't I go do what they do? Why can't totally. I go do what they do and do it better? Yeah, I, I was just talking about this with with uh, Chef Tanya, uh, the idea that, and certainly not that this was happening to you, but the idea that sometimes when people have like a business or a store or whatever yeah. kind of business, that there can be a kind of psychology where they want to make other people feel like they can't do it, like they have some kind of hidden knowledge. Sure so that you just stay in a space of servitude to them or that you're you're providing something for them that they probably know you could do on your own, but they don't want you to know that. And sometimes other people do that to you, but sometimes you do that to yourself. You just oh, yeah. assume there's an expertise or an ability that you can't reach to and you gotta figure out like, actually, no, I could do this. The average person who acts like they're an expert doesn't have the 10,000 hours into what they're claiming to be an expert at, right? right. Like what, what does somebody come in the store to like pay me for? You're actually paying for somebody that's got 30, 40, 50,000 hours yeah. 
into what I do, that's what you're that's what that's what people pay for. They're not paying for like to walk in a store and hear halfway decent music mm-hmm. and buy something. That's not really what people are paying for. Can I can I add something to that? Sure. When we first went into your store, um, so when Monica and I went in, first Monica was like, "Whoa," because she's got a great eye for yeah, that's her passion for, for or one real, of her passions yeah. for real places. But I walked in for, as a as a punk who used who goes to record stores, and I was like, "Oh, this person is serious." And that idea where it's like, you go into a store like that and you're paying someone money because you're paying someone money for stuff because you know what's in there, you know what's in those four walls is actually worth something based on that person's experience and legacy and expertise and taste. And taste. You work at a record store and you talk to somebody about music, you have to trust their taste. Totally. They come back to you over and over and over again, you're... You're paying for someone's taste, right? So you walk in Fallout Mm -hmm. and they go, oh, you bought that seven inch last week. One of those guys is the bass player. He plays drums in this other band and you might like them. You can't just take that. You have to have somebody that understands your taste. That could be literature. Mm -hmm. That could be cars, clothes, tattoos, anything, right? You can't just take anyone's like view of style and taste without them also understanding you, right? So you want a customer one time or do you want a customer for a lifetime? Totally. And that's a totally different logic of anything that you sell. Well, and to push on that, like I love what you said about record stores because like with Monica and I are traveling, she'll say, hey, do you want to go in this record store? And I'll just pop in and out in 30 seconds because I walk in and I just look at the wall. Like, you know, the wall, right? I look at the wall and I see what's on there and I will make my decision on whether or not I'm going to spend 30 minutes or an hour there. And And then you go, hey, I need more time. Totally. And Monica will be the same about stores. And the value of someone's expertise is so deep. And those are the people that you should be investing time and money in. So I'm interested in your thoughts on, on this. If we think about people who are trying to properly value themselves. Sure. From your perspective, how does someone like charge their worth or ask for their worth? Well, my interest is not casual. Mm-hmm. My interest in music is not casual. My interest in literature is not casual. But valuing yourself, I mean, that is the most complicated thing, right? Because like, if you don't think you have value, no one thinks you have value, right? So we're talking about like working for other people and like going out on your own. There are people that only want to work for somebody else. They don't want to take that risk. They want to come there. They want to in and out and they want to go home, right? And that's totally okay. Everybody thinks their own time is valuable and no one else's time is valuable. And you see it over and over and over again. It's always better to just assume that like, Every job is hard. Do I think that being a dishwasher is a hard job? Probably depends on the day. But to the average person, they look at that and they're like, that's an easy fucking job. Only stupid people will get that job. There's a guy called Pete Dishwasher that literally created his entire fucking life on the fact that he likes washing dishes and wrote a fanzine about it and wrote a book about it. And he's very obviously not stupid. But somebody that would see him would be like, well, he's just a stupid fucking dishwasher. If you don't value yourself, no one else is going to value you. No one else. And it's a fine line, right? Like, do I think my time is worth $150 an hour? No. Do you think your time is worth the time of a lawyer? I suppose it depends on the situation, right? It's not like if you come in and I put you in a pair of jeans, it's not exactly that you're buying a pair of jeans. You're buying my time for free, right? That's wrapped into the price of that item 
for me to tell you what looks good on your body, what does not look good on your body, and why. And that is totally different than at some point in your life, you've gone and you've tried on something and the salesperson said every single time, it looks great, it looks great, it looks great. Yeah. We've all felt that way in our life. And then you buy a thing and then you go to your car and you're like, why did I buy that? What am I doing, right? It's really weird when I tell somebody that does not look good or the cut is wrong for your body. I think we can do better. They're like, oh, okay, you're gonna do better. You're not just gonna tell me it looks shitty. I'm not going to be like, yeah, that's shitty. You look shitty. Your body looks shitty. Yeah. I instead go like, here's what I like about it. Here's what I don't like about it. I think we can do better. Let me pull a couple more things for you. Like you're leaving, if you buy nothing, you're leaving with the knowledge of understanding like what looks good on your body. Yeah. That is a total foreign concept in our world right now, right? Yeah. It's the same as going in a record store. I could walk into a bookstore and say, I need a book to go on vacation. And they're literally going to tell me a book that I'm going to fucking hate. Right? You have to ask them, like, what kind of books do you like to read? Tell me your top favorite five authors. Like, what is the last book that you read that you couldn't put down? And then they go, ah, okay, I kind of know your taste. If you can't value your own time and know when you're an expert, mm -hmm. no one else is going to do that for you, right? So, totally. like, you were a therapist. How many hours do you have to work in therapy to be considered a therapist? Thousands. Right? Thousands, yeah. It's a doctor has to be like, the reason you go into residency is that you have 10,000 hours. Yeah. Do you want to go to a dentist that doesn't have 10,000 hours of expertise to drill a hole in your teeth? Absolutely not. Right. So what's interesting about what you just said is if, you, so if someone goes to a doctor and is like, oh, you have to pay a ton of money for a doctor or a surgeon or a dentist, they're like, that's part of the expectation. Let's say someone's a painter and they're charging X amount for, for a painting and people are like... <laughs> I can't believe they're charging this amount of money for this painting or someone goes to a vintage store or someone goes to a record store and sees a great record on the wall. Yeah. I think the idea of like wanting to get things for cheaper, maybe because also it's like, you know, you just don't have the money and you want something that, that of you course. want. All of that. I think but it's But you fair. can be honest about that too, totally, right? Totally. When it comes down to like people um, from a career perspective, like charging their value, I, this is a question I get all the time. Like people are always asking me, like, how do I charge my value in the way that I always ask people? I was like, are you a real expert? Like, do you have real expertise? And if people say, I, I think so, there's a lot of people of the same level of expertise. I say, okay, charge mid-range. And if they say, well, I'm, I'm good at what I do. I don't know if I'd say I'm an expert. Okay, charge, charge lower end and then build up. Yeah. And if people are like, oh, no, I'm an expert. I'm like, you should charge a lot of money. The people that I interact with who really tell me that they're an expert, I say the total opposite. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm a student of life. I want to learn. I'm a sponge. Mm -hmm. There's always more to know. Mm -hmm. Like, you're not going to know everything about what you do at your job, mm -hmm. right? You're not. And that's totally okay. I mean, even if you built it yourself, as soon as you bring another person in, it changes a little bit and mm -hmm. it changes a little bit. Totally. And that is going to be... If you always look at the world as you're a student mm -hmm. of life and you want to know more, you put yourself also at the same level as sort of everybody else to admit yeah. like, yeah, I don't know anything about that, but I would love to hear about it. Tell me all about it. Totally. I, I think the greatest like experts that I've met, like experts that I've met are the people who don't view their expertise as being finite to that moment. Of course. Where they're like, oh yeah, I'm an expert and I'm still growing, learning, changing. Going, going back to the idea of like 
valuing yourself though i think valuing yourself is as much as it, it's 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 as easy as putting up a shingle or putting a, like a sign in the ground that says this is how much i'm going to charge yeah and then being willing and able to move with that like hey maybe you get a ton of people right off the bat they're like holy crap i can't believe how little you're charging here's a ton of business suddenly you're underwater and you're like i've got too much work yeah and, and i can't do a good job great charge a little bit more or hey i'm charging a premium but now i'm getting a, a ton of work or maybe charge a little le- a little less i think it's like you got to be able to just start you got to start you got to throw a yeah. number out there and then grow and develop but i would i really encourage people like I, I just love what you're saying about that like when you said hey like the history it's not just it's not just a bunch of stuff on a shelf it's all of my historical knowledge that i've learned over years yeah like value your knowledge, value what you know, and then put a price out there and just being able to shift with the needs of the market because no one's going to value if you don't value yourself. And I think what you're saying about that is just like dead on, like one of the most important things I think anyone could hear. So going back to living in Seattle, when you were doing the vintage stuff at first, just to kind of make rent, how did it's you a side business? Yeah, yeah side, as, as, side hustle. Side hustle. I've been side hustling before they called it side hustle. So you got the side hustle. Were you just going out to like other vintage shops and like sourcing stuff at garage sales and sh- selling up? Like, how yeah, did you do it? well, I mean, you're you know, the goal is always to get the things for yourself, right? right? So you want to trick out your house, you want to get new plates, you want to be different. I don't, you know, I don't want things that are plastic. I don't, you know, that's and there's that's no shade to anybody that they want that in their life. Mm-hmm. They're like, I can buy. All of my dishes at Ikea, you know, it's like, well, but you're eating food off of that. Like, is that how you, for the rest of your life, like, you don't know what's in that. You don't know what's in old old dishes either, right? Like, maybe don't eat off of those too. They might have lead in them, right? So it's all these little things in your life. So you go to yard sales, you refine the fact that you're like, I don't need this, but somebody else is going to want this, yeah. right? So it just kind of started to work out that yeah. way where like, if I needed an extra couple hundred dollars, I could make a couple hundred dollars without doing anything nefarious or illegal in a few hours, right? Yeah. So, and you just, you get better at it and better at it and it becomes more refined and you learn more and you, you know, I just look at life like it's just a tool belt, right? Mm-hmm. And you're just like, oh, I learned a new thing and I like put that in my pocket and I do this. And that's just like, you just begin to pick that up as you go along. How did you, like back then, how did you learn about like about like brands and clothing and all these things was it just like kind of a shared you knowledge just pick, the- now you just pick it up as you go you know somebody makes a lot of money off of you and you go ah shit i'm not gonna let that fucking happen again and you make a lot of mistakes mm-hmm. right like that's the problem i think in our society in general is everyone's so afraid of making mistakes of getting egg on their face mm-hmm. and it's like it's how you fucking learn. Mm-hmm. Mistakes are how you learn. Like if you work in an office and I used to train people and I'd be like, it's okay, just don't destroy the whole company. It'll be fine. Like don't fuck anything up so badly that we like lose a client or anything like that. You know, don't burn the place down. But overall, it's how you learn. You see, you can see someone walking around with like in an office with like a piece of paper who does nothing and no one really knows what they do. Mm-hmm. They don't make any mistakes, but nobody really, they don't, they're not doing anything either. That is a problem with our society. How, what are most of the things that you've learned that have defined yourself are not the things you did right. It's the things that you did wrong. Totally. I don't know. I hate to be like, well, in my day, but like in the, I feel like in the last 15 to 20 years, maybe more that like there's a computer in your pocket mm-hmm. all the time. 
I had to learn all this stuff and just make mistakes. It's like you you buy something and somebody makes a lot of money off of you mm -hmm. and you go, all right, I now I need to, that's how you learn how to value yourself, right? That is a way to, letting somebody take advantage of you is a really great way to learn what your value is. It seems so much higher stakes now to make mistakes because when I was young and when you were young, there wasn't the internet. And so like mistakes that you would make would not necessarily be broadcasted on the internet. Sure, of course. And done in public or sure. either by you or by other people. And also the level of criticism people would get would be, back in our day, would be more centered around people you actually knew or kind of tangentially of knew rather yeah. than thousands of people having the ability to criticize you that you don't know. Yeah, but also like everybody loves somebody who's truly being genuine. Oh, absolutely. Right? And so it's a really fine line. Like a guy called me grandma today on the internet and I literally was like, dude, the day that I'm a grandma, everyone will fucking know, including you and I don't even fucking know you. Yeah. You're not insulting me. I am of the age, but I'm not there yet. And the day that I am, I'm going to bore the shit out of you with vintage fucking children's clothing. You will know. You'll be the fucking first to know. Going back to the learning though, and I, I totally agree with you. I, the most interesting people I know are the people who have the most scars, who made the most mistakes. Many of my favorite people are the people who are like, oh my God, that thing, I screwed up 10,000 times to get to the thing that I did. Yeah. Uh, or I had, a, I had a rough life story, I had a tough family situation, or I had this. You could be riding a bike. I fell off like eight times for skateboarding, totally. right? No one magically is like, yeah, I just got on a skateboarder and I was fucking Tony Hawk. I was a fucking pro. Yeah. No. Learning to play guitar, learning to do anything. It's not like you got a guitar and all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, now I'm like the greatest guitar player ever. No. What's the, what's the guy at the crossroads? Robert Johnson. Okay. Robert Johnson goes to the crossroads. The story is that he went to the crossroads and the devil came and taught him how to play guitar. No, he went to another town and shacked up with a different lady for like two years and just played guitar. Then when he came back, he was like, oh yeah, I just went to the crossroads and I talked to the devil and now I play guitar good. No, he just didn't do anything but play guitar for like two years. That's how he did it. It's no different from roller skating or skateboarding or... Any complex motor skill is going to be practice. Beyond the mistakes though, like let's say like getting taken advantage of, how did you learn, like literally learn about like, like say an old brand or like, you know, a material or anything? Like how did you learn about that stuff when there wasn't like the internet? You just start to trust your instincts, yeah. you know, you know, you meet people, you ask questions, they ask you questions, you start to like glean a little bit. You start looking at tags. You connect them to another tag. And I still do it now. I'm like, oh, there's something about this just feels a little older. So you start looking at like the stitching of things. As you kind of go along, you pick up a little bit more information, a little bit more information, a little bit more information. You just put more tools in your tool belt and you just start gathering that information. So it's second nature. It's also second nature for me now when someone comes in the store and they'll be like, oh, that's weird having a button fly. And I will say, well, you know, like the zippers are really complex. Like they're really only about 120 years old. And it took a lot of people to figure out like how to make all those teeth. You don't think about it. You like go to the bathroom and you zip up the flying. You'd go on with your day, right? It took a lot of people a lot of time to figure out how to make a zipper that's functioned as a zipper, whereas buttons are thousands and thousands and thousands of years old. And they last forever because like, a button comes off your shirt. You don't throw it in the garbage. You throw it in like a little 
box with other like a button from a band that you saw and some change and some safety pins and that button will go back out into the world when you're done with it. I'll literally be like, well, when these were invented, the zipper didn't exist. And because the zipper didn't exist, everything was buttons. And before buttons, you know, you would wear like a sort of a tunic, right? So like you put your t-shirt on today. You did not think about like, Huh, I wonder what I would have been wearing in 1600. You have put something billowy on and tied it. Men and women would have done that. And over time, it would be like, oh, well, maybe I don't need a tie. Maybe I'll just put like a thing that I just like put over my head mm -hmm. and move on. I just share that with people if they want to know. I'll just say, oh, do you want to know why this is this way? Yeah. And they'll either want to know or they don't. And that's, you know, and that's okay. And either one of those is okay. Monica might actually think, I wonder what I'd be wearing if I was in the 1600s. That, that's something yeah. she might think when we're, when we're getting dressed. All right. So tell me about your time with Empty Records. Um, I started working there in uh, 94. Um, and I was there, I think, just kind of just shy of 10 years. I gave a year's notice when I quit, which I think possibly the only person that's ever worked at a record label that gave a year's notice. But I didn't want any of the bands to not, like I didn't want them to all of a sudden like a month later be like, yeah, you're just not there. Yeah. It's like you have a year like to figure out your shit, whatever that is. Yeah, I mean, it was a really good experience. I think people don't understand how few women there were and maybe that's easier for you to mm -hmm. contemplate, but especially in hardcore, there's not a lot of ladies. Yeah. There's not a lot of ladies running stuff. So now I do love that there's a lot, there's a lot more female booking agents. There's a lot more women booking clubs. There's a lot more, it's more likely that you go to a show, there's at least one or two women in the bands. There's a woman behind doing the sound. Mm -hmm. That's a lot more common than it would have been in the 90s where I probably could have counted almost every single woman involved in the industry at the time yeah. on my hands and toes yeah, e yeah. easily it's it's wild how much it's changed in, in like a good and a lot oh yeah way it's almost like because as you're saying it putting myself back then it's like yeah like totally 100 percent. oh yeah the the i guess like the, the positions of like taste making and power and influence oh, and yeah. making things happen we're just all centered not just with men, but also like a, a, a certain demographic of men as yes, well. Yes, most definitely, yeah. most definitely. Um, white, cisgendered mm -hmm. across the board. Yeah, that could be like anywhere you would go in the world mm -hmm. to a certain extent, right? So what did you do at the label? Everything, there's only two of us. Um, uh, I did um, radio, magazines, dealt with bands most of the time. Um, the only areas that I didn't do were like hardcore production, artwork, album artwork, although all of that, you always have two people proof a record. Yeah. Like that is one of the best things that you can learn in life is that, especially if the person that's proofing it is the person that's been doing the Photoshop to create it, you need a second set of eyes it's just like you're gonna have like the spine is gonna be backwards and like go home right now and look at your records and look at them all in a row and then like kind of go the problem with putting out records in general is that there's so many mistakes to make and unless somebody guides you a little bit i remember i 
had sat down with a friend of mine and he was, they were starting to put out records and I was like, all right, well, you don't want to do this and you don't want to do that. You don't want to do this. You don't want to do that. And so he like got the CD master and he was like playing it in his car. And then he was like, how come you didn't tell me that was a bad idea? And I was like, because I never would have thought playing the master was a cool idea. Like it never fucking crossed my mind to tell you not to do something that's stupid, right? <laughs> because there's so, no, because there's so many things that you're gonna do wrong. You, there's no way to list them all, totally. right? And totally. so, you know, you're gonna be like, well, it was supposed to be red and white splatter, but it came out pink. And the band is like, all of our 45s are pink. We have 2000 like pink 45s and it's like, well, they were supposed to look like peppermints, but they don't look like peppermints. They look like bubble gum. And that's just as you go, right? You make a mistake. You go, oh, that was shitty. I'm not going to do that again. Yeah. And you just, you learn as you go. Well, I was going to ask you that because like, you know, you were a rabid fan of music. You love yeah, music. Yeah, yeah. And I'm still a huge and, record collector. And you, and you loved vintage stuff. Yeah. But all of these things were they're just- They're kind of hand in hand in a yeah. weird way. Oh, yeah. I think they're, they are totally complementary to each other. But all of this stuff was just like, oh, I'm super into this, so I'm just gonna learn about it as I go. Trial and error, figure Trial it out. Trial by fire, as they say. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But as you learned, you made something out of it. So like when you were working on Empty, cause like I grew up with Empty being like an active record label. Oh yeah, yeah. And bands that were like being put out were like bands that I was into. So like when, when Monica had told me, like I, when I met you, it's, it's not the thing you led with just as No, I, and I don't lead with it now no. because literally someone goes, what? I was super stoked, but it's very specific to that. It's like so much of your story is just someone who's like, I'm interested in this thing and I'm just going to find out about it. There's no barriers. I'm, I'm just fucking go diving in. I'm totally. diving in the whole fucking way. It's not like. You didn't. You, you don't meet somebody who's like, I'm a casual hardcore punk fan. Yeah. Like, well, who's that guy? Who is that guy? Yeah. Yeah, but I'm like also really into like ballroom music and jazz. No, you. When you fall into that, like you are fucking in. Yeah, you're. You're in, in all the way. But some people are in, but they're in as on the sidelines. You were in the. You were in the midst, and you were making it happen. That's gonna be a personality flaw or def like probably a defect really but like the worst that can happen is you fall on your ass that's yeah. the worst that could happen you just dust your ass off and you just go about your business okay i like when you're like oh is it a is it a character fault that i'm doing this like no no it okay. might be a flaw but it might be a flaw like maybe the best parts of you are the most flawed parts mm -hmm. of you it's just when you're younger you're looking at the flawed parts of you and you're like, that's a flaw. Whereas I look at it now, I'm like, eh, it's just like a lump and bump. You're gonna get some of those. My boyfriend broke his shoulder at like 51 years old, right? And I was like, well, you gotta break something every once in a while just to prove you're using it. And he literally looked at me like, no, that is not how it's supposed to work. And I'm like, I'm not saying go, go run around and be totally careless and like try to hurt yourself. But like, you gotta use the equipment yeah. A little bit, if you want to do, and like he's an aggressive bicyclist, mm -hmm. you're going to fall off your bike every once in a while. Life is it's for not living. a big deal, right? Yeah, life is for living. When you said it's like, oh, maybe it's a fault. Okay. I think, I think something like that could be a fault of like wanting to get in and make stuff if you're not willing to learn and be a student of the thing that you're involved of in. Of course. You know, like if I think back in music, it's like a lot of people driving the narrative where it's like, hey, like 
keep your weird ego out of this. Like, you know what you're talking about versus someone who comes in and is like, I love this and I have an opinion and I, I could be totally wrong, but I'll learn from when I'm wrong and I'm going to make this thing better and I'm going to do better. Putting out a record with someone who can fuck up and be like, I totally fucked up. I own it. And either I'm going to correct it or whatever yeah. versus putting out a record with someone who's a total jerk off and fucks up and just is like, what? Like, I don't think it's a fault to be to dive in and be like, I'm going to drive this even if I don't know what I'm talking about. I think it's only a fault if, if you're not willing to learn from your from your mistakes. I think it's, I think people can look at something like passion and think it's anger. Uh, it's like, this is, I'm not angry. Like, dude, the day I'm angry, you will fucking know I'm angry. I'm being passionate. Like, I'm passionate about what I'm talking about. And I think there's a confusion. There's probably five things in your life that you could talk about endlessly, yeah. right? Totally boring. Probably two of those are totally boring. Right to the outside world, fucking fascinating to you and the person that you're talking right. with, right? Going back to Empty, what were some of the bands that if you look back, like what are some of the, and this isn't discounting any other band, but what were some of the bands that you feel like the, the fondest connection to or the greatest sense of like pride for having to be a part of? When I first came on, we were doing Cracker Bash and I still think that that is an amazing band, especially considering they don't get any credit for like, really being one of the first sort of like emo punk bands they're really forgotten about um i really loved almost all of the bands when we would do something and blake would really want to do it and i kind of wouldn't want to do it most of the time we would or if i wanted to do something and he didn't want to do it we would usually just kind of agree to not do something Right, because like if this is your passion and you enjoy it, you don't want to put out things, and that can be complicated because you might love a band, you love them live, they go and record and they give you what they've created, and you're like, this isn't what I thought this was gonna sound like, and now I've committed to put this out, and I want to be a good guy, and I don't want to, you know, not stand with my original thought about something, and that can be a tricky area. I liked most of the bands all super different i think that was probably the biggest criticism was that we put out stuff that was all super different where i was always like i don't want to be into a label that all sounds the same i'm not interested in that at all but yeah i mean i'm proud of the accomplishments and i'm proud even when a band would go on to another label as long as they were honest about it this is why you should only have a one record deal with bands right i i think our attitude was always like, we do one record deals and we raise your royalty rate for the next record, right? You have an incentive to stay, but an open door policy if you decide that you wanna leave, right? And that's how you stay friends with people. That's how you end up not fucking hating people in bands that you don't wanna hate, right? That can be complicated, especially in the early 90s where you've got a lot of major labels that are coming in, they're signing bands, the entire groundwork is changing. And now that enough time has gone by, you know, a lot of guys in a lot of bands that went and signed to a major that were like, yeah, that was a fucking terrible idea because they got money that they spent like dicking around in the studio when they should have just recorded the same way and taken that money, bought a van, and bought merch and been smart. Like you're in a punk band or a grunge band. You're not gonna be Michael Jackson. You're not gonna be Nirvana. You're not gonna be Garth Brooks. I just covered R&B, rock, 
and country. You're fucking not going to be any of those people. Those are once in a lifetime things. That is really hard because here's the universal truth with all bands. All bands. When you do great is because you're great. When you do poorly, it's the record label, the distributor, the artwork, the person that recorded you, the distributor, the person that mixed it. It's never the band's problem. And that is a problem with bands. And that is universal. All bands still fucking love you. But like, I love the band Still Wool. If you go on a Spotify and listen to Still Wool, one of the best fucking bands to ever come out of Seattle. I could have given you a free record and offered to suck your dick and I still wouldn't have sold fucking records. <laughs> people did not like that band. People did not like that band. And now after the fact, people really like that band now. They're like, God, these records are really cool and weird and strange. Couldn't fucking sell those records. No fucking way. Couldn't sell them. That's just a, you can be passionate and love something and think it's like one of the greatest things that you've ever done. People don't like it. All the stuff that we're talking about, right? Everything comes down to taste. So when you have a record label or maybe you do a fanzine, you open a store, you do anything along those lines in a creative area, you're selling your taste. Your taste isn't gonna be for everybody. Know that now. You'll be far better in your life to be like, our yum and our yuck are different. Your taste and my taste is different. And I don't need to have your taste. And that's really hard because in our society, we want to try to make everybody happy. I don't fucking wanna make everybody happy at all. And I have no interest in making everybody happy at all. And that comes down to like the clients that you pick. There's clients that you have where you're like, we're never going to make this client fucking happy. It's not because they're a pain in the ass. It's because your two views of the world do not meet up correctly, whether the expectation was not set correctly or they're just not happy. If somebody's not happy, there's nothing you can do to make them happy. You're not married to them. You're, they're just, they're a client right? And yes, you need your clients and it's super fucking important. I need customers. But if I think that every person that walks in the store is my customer, that's dumb. Yeah. Not every single person that you take a meeting with is going to, you're not going to hit the same connection. And sometimes you have to walk away from money because you know that it's just not the right thing. And that's really hard for people to do because you have to have money to pay people. You have to have money to like keep the fucking lights on. You have to do all of that, right? But when it's the, the punk ethos part of it that comes in is saying, I don't need you. I don't eat bologna, but like I'm using that as an example of like, I will tighten my belt and I will eat a bologna sandwich to not fucking work with you. Totally. And that is really hard for people to understand. And that all comes from punk rock. All of that comes from punk rock. The worst mistakes I've made is when I've worked with people, whether musically or as a, um, in as the a work business. that I do now, where I knew it wasn't right, but I did it for the wrong reasons. Like it could be money or it could be ego. Friendship. It could be friendship or whatever. But where I was like, there's a client that we, we took on years ago. Uh, it's the only client we've ever been fired from. And I remember thinking, this is a bad idea. You probably knew it at the second. I the knew second it. in, first five minutes in, you were like, mm, something about this does not ring for me. I knew it right off the bat, but where I looked at it was, if I could just get over this hump, 
then it opens up the door of working with this global organization. Sure. It'll be good for the business. And I was like, you know what? I can manage this. And it, I couldn't manage it because it was too toxic. It was too crazy. And when we got fired from the, from the client, I was like super angry about it. And I was like, this is so stupid. You know, fuck that guy. I was so angry. But then I was like, actually, this is not that dude's fault. This is my fault. I knew, I knew not. He also did you a favor in the end. Huge favor. Now. Huge favor. I'm very, a very. Not in the moment, but now. He did you a favor. Very, very happy. And like that mistake has, has continued to kind of like kick me in the, like kick me a little bit or elbow me in the side once in a while, because it's like occasionally there'll still be some like reverberations from getting fired from that one client. Like it will cause us to like not get a contract or this and that. Cause this guy was a total asshole. But the only person to be mad at was me because I was like, I knew I shouldn't have taken it. And then when I took it, I should have treated it a lot more like I was holding a grenade. It was such a good lesson for me as a business owner. Cause like going back to putting out records for people that I'm like, I like you as a friend, but I know you're a jerk. Like, like outside of our Who wants to work friendship. with jerks? Right, but you know how you can be friends with someone that you know is a jerk, but you just have a friendship? But I don't wanna work with you. Totally. I don't wanna pull coffee with you. I don't wanna I, be in a business meeting with you. I've been in bands with people that I knew were jerks. I put out records for people that I knew were jerks. And, but then it was like, it became different when you know, I was in the band or if I put out the record for him, like now I'm exposed to your jerkedness in a way that I wasn't when we were just friends. It's kind of like dating someone and then realizing as you're dating him, it's like, what I liked as you as a friend is absent as, as now that we're dating. And those lessons, like that kind of like listening to your gut instinct of like, no, don't do this. Don't work for that person. Don't take on that it's contract. It's a fucking hard lesson to learn. It, it is, is a fucking hard lesson to learn. It, it is. And I've learned... Like going back to one of the first things you said is like that learning from mistakes. It's like, I look at my life, but predominantly my career, it's like, it's just a series of like, oh, I never want that to happen again. Or I never want to work for someone like that again. Or, hey, I need, I should make more money for this or like whatever it is. Going back to something you'd said earlier, it's like, it's really my mistakes that I've learned the most from until I found my groove of success. But let's go into that, into the, the next chapter for you. So you finish at the record label and then you went in, into kind of corporate life for a while, right? I always had like, I mean, I always had like a side job. Like I would take like, I'd be like, okay, I need to buy Christmas gifts. I'm gonna go have a weird Christmas job or whatever, or I'll sell vintage on the side. So, I mean, I would kind of always like, like you work at a record store, but then you also like take care of an Alzheimer's patient for like two days a week. Like mm-hmm. I used to go Saturday afternoon and I would work till Monday. People were like, how do you have all this money? And I was like, well, I get paid to sl- I get paid like $8 an hour to sleep in like 92. Yeah. Like I think 335 is like the minimum wage. So like $8 an hour to literally go somewhere to like sleep, you know, and cook for somebody and just make sure to do their laundry. I'd come home Monday and I'd take a shower and I'd go work in the record store. I think that I've always kind of had sort of like side jobs. And if I tried to take like, a side job at MD where it would be like an actual corporate job, there's no way I was gonna make them happy, right. right? And so like I was way too deep in bucking the system that I could only take little part-time jobs on the side. Also like I'm going out, I'm drinking a ton. So, you know, I ended up very randomly taking a job with people that I'm still friends with now. And I started there at seven in the morning and I worked until noon. And this is at the beginning of the internet, right? So like, this is when people thought the internet is like a thing that 13 year old boys are gonna be super into. Mm -hmm. No one's gonna have the internet, right? Like that is gonna be a thing that like your kid is into. 
and you have to kick them off the phone because it's like, doot, 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 <laughs> right? That's the time period. So it worked out perfect for me working out their record label. And it's the very, it's the very beginning of the internet. eBay started while I worked there. Google started while I worked there. It was perfect. But also like I went to work drunk. I mean, like I know that for a fact because I would like work there in the morning and then I would work at empty and then I would go to a show and I would literally like I had it timed perfectly how long it took me to like get out of bed and end up at work with a bunch of other super weirdo, you know, dudes would hang out there like into the evening and they would be like their wives would call like. And they'd all be playing Doom or whatever, like in a group. And I would be like, all right, Marcus, you got to go home. Your wife's called me three times now. I cannot put her off anymore. You fucking got to go home. I mean, I remember the day someone was like, hey, if you're looking for like a cool new search engine, there's this thing called Google. It was the earliest of early days. It's the wild fucking West yeah. for sure. So, I mean, I would, I'd go there and I mean, I remember drinking a big glass of water when I got to work and then I was like, oh no, I'm, I'm. Like, I just reactivated the gin from the night before with a glass of water. And I'm like, okay, so just act normal and you're cool. But yeah, I mean, I was going to rock shows like four nights a week, five nights a week. And at the time, because I worked so much, like, it's the first time in my life where, like, I really had money. Yeah. Like, if you were in a band and you drank and I was at a show, it would be more likely that I would literally just walk up with like two shots each for the band and just set them down and walk away. Because I mean, I worked constantly. I mean, I worked, I was working like 10 hour, 10, 11 hour days. And that was actually really perfect. And I was really burning it at both ends. I ended up getting really sick. I got strep and mono and it put me in my fucking tracks. I mean, they let me come into my office job. Like I would come work for like three hours or something to like keep my insurance. And I mean, like, I don't remember eating for like a year. I mean, I know I ate, but like, I don't remember it. I have no, like, I ran into somebody as an adult and they're like, oh, I thought you became a junkie. You were so thin. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. No, like I was just, I got sick. I just got super sick. So that sort of made me kind of like 28 years old. I was like, okay, you have to take care of yourself. You have to like eat two meals a day and you can't like, just smoke a pack of cigarettes and then maybe at two in the afternoon, like eat and then go drinking. Like, and that's how I ended up kind of in the corporate world accidentally where like I became an office manager and then I would come in and I was kind of bossy and kind of a dick, which is sort of what people want in an office manager is like someone that won't take shit from anybody and knows how to come in and like be a babysitter. Like all it is, you work with bands, you're a babysitter. You're an office manager, you're a babysitter. They're not any, they're not different. Right. It's the same exact qualifications. It's like, be organized, kind of have your shit together. Don't take too much shit. Still be nice. Still be soft. That's all you got to do. That's that's how it happened. And it's the same job. It's just no one understands it's the same exact job. They have no idea. Anyone that I, that's on the show that, ta- that comes from like punk or hardcore, always they're like, Oh, when I got my first like real job, I realized I already knew how to do it because that's what I learned being in a tour van or putting out records. Exactly. Or, like I had a skill that wasn't just portable. I actually already knew how to do this job because I did it 
managing like five people or a record label yes. or booking tours or whatever. But you have to like write it on a resume and you have to like <laughs> totally. tell somebody like, yeah, I can like order coffee. I mean, literally they think that's a hard part of the job. Well, and something you said earlier, it's like, well, if employers could kind of open their open their mind to people from the punk world, they, they'd see like this crazy talent pool that isn't represented on a resume. And, oh, at all. It is like literally like spray painting a turd. You're mm -hmm. like... You have to ch you have to change somebody's perception of what they think that skill set is, mm -hmm. which really gets down to the fact that it's really easy for men to do that. It's really fucking hard for women to yeah. do that. And so, like any guy would just walk in and be like, "Yeah, like of course I know how to do Photoshop and take photos and do your social media." and run all of your computers and do your IT department. This guy doesn't even, he's gonna go home and be like, okay, what's the first thing you do when you work in IT? You just tell people to restart their computer. Okay, I can do that. That is something that women will not do and women probably need to do that more, which is like, yeah, of course I know how to do that. Any guy knows how to do everything. I and mean, this is not shitting on women, this is not shitting on men. I just think we should take a page from that fucking book of like, I know a guy who literally got hired at Adobe who did not know how to do anything at Adobe at all, lied in the interview and then literally went home when he got the job and was like, okay, I got the huge ass book and I'm all I'm gonna do for the next like three days is just do that. It never would cross my mind to be like, oh yeah, no, I totally know how to do that. It, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I, I literally know exactly what you're talking about. I like. We need to do that more. I I think that like just from a societal point of view, like men being encouraged to like walk in and and completely be like, oh yeah, of course. Versus like from a societal point of view, the messages that men and women have gotten about acting like that are very different. Like uh, one, for one, sure. One would be, well, of course you'd do that. And the other would be like, how dare you do that? And I, I just think people should walk in to situations with the idea of whatever I don't know, I'll learn. Like if we're just talking about like music or like working in punk rock, right? Mm -hmm. When you work in that, you have to know more than the guys. Mm -hmm. You have to know more than totally. all the fucking guys. Totally. Every single time. Totally. Right? And that is sort of a bummer because you're really, there's a bar that like, here's the bar for the guys and here's the bar for the ladies. And you need to be up above that bar and know more than everybody else mm -hmm. so that people will take you seriously. Totally. And that I think it's changed a bit, especially I think at least in music, it's, mm -hmm. it's a lot more standard. If you go to the tote in Australia, mm -hmm. you can't book a show mm -hmm. if there's not a woman that is on the bill. Right. If you're a bunch of guys in a band and you don't book at least one other woman that is on the show, the show does not happen. And that is, you have to make that a policy of your club to make that happen. I talk to guys who are like, yeah, but then there's always got to be like some shitty band that's on that's got a woman in it. And it's like, well, okay, hold on a second. How is she going to get good if she doesn't get to get out there and fucking play? Right? So that is a different way of looking at it. The way that you get good playing music is by playing shows. It isn't like, well, I learned how to play guitar and I found a guy that played drums and we're magically great. No, you have to go out and suck and be shitty and clear rooms. That's how you work on your craft. And that could be anything that you do in life. We have to change the idea that is like, 
only men know about music, I shouldn't have to know more than everybody else. I know that you mean more than just in music, but like I see this in the corporate world a lot where it's like the expertise that women have to bring to the table to be considered a peer is often far higher than like what the average other male yeah. worker would have to have. So I think that's like prevalent in, in all spaces. And something that blows my mind is like going back to the musical thing. I, I mean, I can say factually for myself, I'm a terrible musician, like terrible. That's I, okay. I can barely play guitar. And I know there are many- Shouldn't stop you from being in a band though. Oh, absolutely not. I'm, but it hasn't. I'm I'm a terrible guitar player, and I, I I can totally own it. But like the idea that being not good at something, but I'm a guy, I still have more options than someone who's much more talented and, and is a woman or, or comes from another marginalized space within punk and hardcore. That's still a thing. But it's, that translates into like your business. Oh, totally. If you walk into a conference room and there are no people of color, mm -hmm. there are no women in the room. There is no one that is indigenous in the room. Mm -hmm. Does it mean that every single meeting that you go into, there has to be like one indigenous Canadian in the room? No, it's acknowledging when I walk in a room, who is in this room, mm -hmm. right? That's just stopping and thinking. It's not like everything you do has to change. It just means, oh, the more I acknowledge things that don't look exactly like me, mm -hmm. the more I become open to situations, the more I start to kind of look like, we don't hire any older women here. That's ageist. We, you know, like when you start to expand that kind of thing, you start to look at things, you shift your perception when you walk in a room of like what that looks like. Yeah, totally. And also that idea, like when you're like, hey, like maybe maybe we should start adopting that idea of just being like, yeah, I can do that. I I want people to feel that anything they don't know they should be able to learn. And like, you do not need to be an expert in something to go down that path. You should just be able to go and figure it out. Cause that's like, it's kind of like the way of punk. It's just like, go and, go and figure it out yeah. and then go and do it. Right. I watched the, the Go-Go's documentary yeah. where like the bass player was like, yeah, I just told them I knew how to play bass. Then I went and got a lot of speed. And then I literally spent two days on speed and I just learned every single bass line until my hands were so cramped. Yeah. And then I just passed out. Yeah. And it's like, that is the, exactly the fucking attitude that more of us need to take. It's like, all right, I'm just going to cram. I'm going to cram for it so hard that I'm just going to be proficient at it. And I think we need a little, some things in life you can't cram for. That is the truth, right? right. Like you can't take no-dos and like read a book and take a test. Like right. some stuff you got to actually like learn. But learn could, the stuff. Yeah, but you could learn. Like you could learn the first steps to get you in the door. Yes. Like, like yes. I, I love this story about the Go-Go's. It's like, yeah, I mean, yes. You know, I, I, I'm not going to take like speed to do it, but like, yes, just say yes. Just do your thing. Just like jump into it and figure it yeah. out. And not for everything. Like, for example, I can't learn how to be an acrobat in two days, but nor do I want to. Like, yeah, I don't of course. want to do that. I will break a leg. Right. I, I, and end up in the hospital. Yes. It's not going to be good. Men maybe need to take the I know everything down and women need to be able to take up I know more than you think I do. And somehow we need to have those things meet yeah. a little bit more in the middle. And I don't know if that's exactly the right way to put it, but. No, yeah, I think you've hit it. Like I, I. Like, I love when people are like, yeah, I can do that. Like, I'm going to figure it out. I don't like when people bullshit. 
like and and as being a yeah. business owner, I've definitely had grifters come in. Like I I think of this one grifter that came into the into our company where it was like kind of claiming they had all these advanced degrees and could do all this stuff. And I was like, oh wow, that's so cool. But then, then you figure out like, oh, you really don't know anything. Over time, we figured out they didn't know anything. And it's like, I'm not the kind of employer that's like, show me your degrees. Like, I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I don't assume someone's going to be enough of a psycho to come in and lie, lie to yeah, my face about stuff. So after a while, I was like, oh, you are so full of shit. And it, it added up over time. And we ended up like doing an exit. But like, up until the point where someone's like bald faced lying, I kind of like the idea of people being like, Oh yeah, I can do that. And then they just figure out how to do it. Yeah. That's cool. And some people me. are good at stuff that like there's not within their exact wheelhouse. Like that's how you figure out you're really good at something, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I I just thought, oh, I'm gonna turn 50 and I'm either gonna try to do this or I'm not gonna do this. Yeah. Right? Like 50 is the dividing line of like, it's now or never. It's yeah. do or die. I need to do this while I still have the energy to fucking do this, right? I talked to somebody last week who's like young, playing guitar, wants to be in a band. And it's like, do you want to be in a band in your 20s? Or do you want to be in a band sleeping on somebody's floor in your 40s? And she was like, that is a really good way to look at that it. That is it's the like, best way to look at it. There's a time and a place for everything. And being in a band in your 20s is the most ideal time to do that, right? And it's also kind of like things that look really good on a 15-year-old look a little less good on a 25-year-old, look a little less good on a 35-year-old. I try to not talk about shit that I don't know about. Mm -hmm. When I used to go to other towns or I would meet bands, I think the best thing is like, just be cool. You don't have to tell everybody like who you are, but the people that would not treat me right and then would be like, oh, I didn't realize that you run a record label, blah, 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 blah. And I would be like, yeah, you just, you already showed me that you're who I don't want to work with. Totally. And your band is like, just okay. So the fact that you couldn't just be cool to me and be cool to everybody, that's how you figure out who you want to work with, right? Like, that's not about punk rock. That's like every area of your life, you kind of go like, I want to be around cool people. I don't want to be around dicks. That was sort of like our motto with the label. I felt the same way about coaching roller derby. It's like, this is my hobby. And I, if I'm in my hobby, I don't want to be around assholes. I'm not interested in being around people who are dicks, who are assholes, who are not cool to people. And the more you filter your life to always be that way, where everybody you work with, where you're like, I don't want to work with dicks. I don't want to work with assholes. If you start to just make your whole life like that, you can make your whole personality that. Your life is so much easier when you just make that as a decision Yeah. in your life. Like, that eh, assholes, not interested. Totally, totally. And everyone can be an asshole for a couple hours. I'm talking about asshole every day. It's their baseline. It's Yeah, it's their personality, uh -huh. right? Not like, oh, so that person was in a bad mood. That's out of character. They're going to go home. They're going to cool off. They're going to be fine. Yeah. That I have no problem with. Um, let's let's talk about Melody Note. What about it? Okay. Well, all about it. So well, I needed a weird name because I'm really into music. Uh -huh. And I was like, all right. And I had gone to Japan. Uh -huh. People constantly think my name is Melody, which I just respond to now. And they don't know the name of my store. And I thought, I was in Japan. You'll see like a cat with a piece of Kenji in its mouth. And that's the name of the store. And I thought, oh, Americans aren't stupid. They'll get the name of my store. No one has any fucking idea. <laughs> and they'll be like, what's the name of your store? And I'd be like, well, it has melody notes and it says Vinod. That's the name of my store. 
No. Also, if you name your business something that has a woman's name in it, that will be your name. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I just answer to it now. I'm just. So, what was the decision to go from it being the side hustle to a thing where it's like turning now 50. This, turning 50. Turning 50. More. And I'll tell you what the fuck happened. I was driving cross country with a girlfriend of mine, and she was driving, and I was like, God damn it, I fucking hate when you drive. I wanna be the driver. And she's like, shut up. She's like, why don't you plan your 50th birthday party while you're sitting there? I was like, oh, it's a really good idea. So I was, I knew I was gonna try to open the store and I thought it would be perfect. I'll have the store open. I'll, I'd love to do Mud Honey and Radioactivity. I don't know if you know those bands, but Mud Honey and Radioactivity, Two Band Bill, Pappy and Harriet's 50th birthday party. Like if you're gonna do it, don't fuck around, go all out. It's exactly what we did, except for we did it um, leap year day of 2020, which means that's the last time anybody saw anybody. Whoa. So I have friends that like that party sustained them for two years. So, um, yeah, so I opened and I was open for 31 days. And I mean, I changed my whole life, like corporate job, all the money on the line, like the, everything on the line. And then I was like, okay, well, I like crying and I like wine. So this <laughs> pandemic is perfect for that. And um, I closed, I drove back to Seattle. Well, I didn't know what the fuck else to do, you know? So my partner and I go back and forth from Seattle to here. So like more winter here, more summer there. And I mean, I just set the burglar alarm and like went home and was like, okay, stuff we might need. Toilet paper, like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> like I just took two Ikea bags and just put a bunch of shit in the Ikea bags and like threw the shit in the trunk of my car and like, drove to Seattle. Didn't know if I was going to reopen. Didn't know if I was going to pay to get out of the lease. Didn't know what I was going to do. And I had just hired somebody. And then I felt fucking terrible. And then I was also like, you've only worked for me for 10 days and I'm still feeling this like... It's the difference between when you hire somebody for somebody else and you hire somebody for yourself. Mm -hmm. And it is, I've hired tons of people in offices for like, I'm your office manager and I fucking hire people they seem nice. I'm sure they're fine. Yeah. They're not my employee. Like yeah. I don't have to sign their check. I don't have to not pay myself to pay them. Right. Well, her and I are still friends, but I felt fucking terrible. And then I was also like, we're all in the same mess together. Why are you beating yourself up about somebody you've known for 10 fucking days? You know, like, so yeah. So I closed for like six, months or something and I don't like I had some fucking miracle on the business people will always come in they're like how long have you been in business and I'm like 31 days before the pandemic and they're like oh that sucks for you and I'm like yeah, yeah. yes it does but it's made me it's made me bring back all my own like all the old kind of punk rock sort of things you fall back on which is like running lean being smart being conservative, which is a really hard thing when we're talking about corporate America not embracing punk. Punks are fucking conservative. They're not conservative politically. They are conservative about money, being economic, getting the most bang for your buck, like being smart. So it's made me fall back on all of those lessons of like using your brain, making sure you stay in business, being smart about what you buy, being smart about how you treat your customers, always going back to like being nice to people. Do you want a customer one time? Do you want a customer for a lifetime? 
And there are people that only come once a year. So you should treat them like they're a regular, even though you only see them. I might only see you one time a year, but I want to treat you like I'm super excited that I only get to see you once a year. It's a totally different way of looking at a customer yeah. and everything, right? It's made me smarter, hungrier, want to know more. So when you first started the store, pandemic, you shut it down, but then you reopened it again and shut it down again, right? Yeah. So I was able to reopen in the summer and then Palm Springs closed a second time. And the reason why is because everybody was coming to Palm Springs because we had outdoor dining. Right. And so people that had been trapped in their house, I mean, I knew people that moved to the desert because they were like, well, if I'm be trapped in my house in Portland or Seattle, I might as well be somewhere where I can be outside. Yeah. And that was, I know that was a secondary problem. So we closed again and I went home and, you know, made more bagels and made more sourdough and you learn about yourself. Like that, that's, that was the perfect time. If there was a thing in your life where you were like, if I ever don't work, I'm going to do X, Y, Z. If you didn't take that as the opportunity to do that then you weren't using your time. Totally. Like I only had one thing. I was like, I'm gonna fucking learn how to make bagels. And I fucking make killer bagels now because I made them every week and gave them away for free, right? So financially though, how did you survive? Fuck. Um, I had a little savings because uh -huh. I thought, what if I'm bad at this? Which is totally not how people work. So I, I had three months of rent. Mm -hmm. The like, maybe I'm shitty at this money. I had made a little bit of money in that month, obviously. And then I got the small $6,000. It's not a lot, but 6,000 bucks. That helped me for another couple months. And then I just went to my friends and I was like, hey, I'm going to reopen at some point. Do you want to get, do you want to spend $75 and get a $100 gift card? Do you want to spend 50 bucks and get a $75 gift card? Never expires. You can have it forever. That helped give me another month of rent. And now, like, I do not function without a certain amount of money in my bank account because I like to have a year of rent and bills in the bank at all times. I have a year of burglar alarm payment, phone payment, internet payment, Spotify, rent. Insurance so, sitting in the bank at all times. But how did you build that back up? So when you opened up, like opened up, opened up again. So things people were... really wanted to buy stuff. Yeah, y'all got fat, or <laughs> y'all started running marathons. No one's the same. Yeah, I had a beautiful woman come from Canada, and she, um, she came from Vancouver. She kind of talked to me a little bit in the store, but there were other people in the store. Mm. And as soon as we were alone, she's like, "I need pants." I haven't left my house for a year and a half. Like my clothes don't fit. And I was like, okay, cool. Let's just decide this is going to be emotional labor right now. Let's just accept that this is going to suck. It's going to be hard and we're going to be okay. Yeah. Like just accept that now. And I have guys too that like they've been a 32, USA 32 in Levi's their whole life. And they're in a 33 or a 34. And I'm like, you know what? Let's just get you looking good right now. No one has to know what size your pants are. Just get, let's just... Make you look good right now. Mm -hmm. So it's confidence is part of it, mm -hmm. making people feel good. And some people know, right? They come in, they know what they like, they try it on and they buy it. But the oh, some people need 
the emotional support of a soft landing when maybe they started running marathons and their body changed. Maybe they were like me and they started baking bagels and their body changed, right? Like everybody needs a soft landing and people were really wanting to go out and spend money. So we would open and I'd get tons of people and then we would close again. And I just was really conservative and I just, I didn't spend money. I just was like, I'm going to always make sure. And now I always have enough in my bank account for a year of anything I need. And then I, this year I decided to put 10K away and I'm going to try to put 10K away as just what if money. I just call it what if money. I don't have a plan for it. It doesn't have an earmark. It doesn't have, it doesn't need to be a thing. It's just in a savings account for the business Mm -hmm. and rainy day fund, whatever. So I try to just be really um, careful. So now that you're, you're like back, like we're back, the things have opened up enough. How does one run like a vintage store? Like, like where, a lot of laundry. Well, I was ask, like, how do you find time in your life to go out and like hunt things down and find? Cool I go to things? a wholesaler, so that's uh-huh. one of the main things that I do. Is I have a wholesaler that I go to four or five times a year, uh-huh. and um, that helps a lot. Um, it's like going to Costco, but it's just vintage clothing. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a dig and it's dirty and it takes a level of time. But you have to also like, you know, it's like you go to Costco. You're like, okay, we need popcorn and we need laundry detergent. So I do go with a plan. I'm like, okay, I need these sizes of Wranglers and I need this and that. And they don't solve all of that. I also close in the summer. So in another week, I'll be closed. Mm-hmm. I have secret spots that I go to in Oregon and I have spots that I go to in Washington state and I also do all my repair work. Mm. So I just packed all my sewing stuff, like what I, what I'm going to take to a seamstress, but also what I think I can get done over the next two months. Mm. And I'll do kind of my bits of shopping as I go. So as I'm going up, like I'll stop at a Buffalo exchange and go through all the Levi's really quickly. And you know, what I can sell isn't what somebody else can sell. And that's sort of part of, how you price things, who you're in competition with. Do you think you're in competition with them? Like, I learned from playing sports. I'm, I compete with myself. Yeah. I want to be the best for me. We are, you and I, you could open a store next door. We are not in competition. Yeah. I mean, Anessa is a, do- is a door away from me. Yeah. And we do something so different that when someone comes in, they're like, I need a dress for a wedding. I go, you know what? I'm not your place. Yeah. They're like, oh, but you sell dresses. And I go, I know, but that's not what I do, right? That's what she does. That is what she specializes in. That's what she's really good at, right? Mm -hmm. So when you start talking about like leaning into your strengths and also knowing somebody else's strengths, I know all of the other sellers. I know what they sell and I have no problem saying, you want a 60s caftan? It's not what I do. You should go here. This is what they specialize in. And they're always like, oh, it's really nice that you can like help each other. And it's like, why not? Right? Mm-hmm. It's a huge fucking pool to piss in. Why would I not want to help somebody? Yeah. But that's not everyone's. I don't want to say for the, for this industry. That's my prerogative. Well, like on the flip side, you and I could go anywhere and meet like 20 other people who are like, oh, no, fuck everyone else. I'm only going to do it for myself. And I don't want those people in my life. I want you in my life for as short amount of time, right? Like 
I mean, when you're talking about punk rock and you're talking about mentorship and you're talking about things that are like baked into what it is, you're going to help other people. You want to book a tour? That person over there knows how to do a tour. I know how to do a tour. Everybody helps everybody else. You want to put out a record. You want to start a company, right? You want to start a company. You want to start a store. Ask people questions. Don't open a store and do what I did and then go, wait, when was the last time you actually worked retail? Which is exactly what I did. I was like, oh yeah, like you, there's things that you need to like run a store. And I had to sit down and go, but if you're smart and you're confident, you're like dumb people run stores. That's how I look at everything. Is there somebody stupider than me <laughs> that seems to be able to do it and I know I'm smarter than them and they're successful? If you look at the whole world like that, I'm way fucking smarter than them. So I should be able to figure it out. So I was, I was like, hey, when was the last time you work retail? Okay. The 90s. Okay. So uh, some things have changed since the 90s. So like you'll get a modern register. Mm -hmm. They will help you do that, right? Okay. You're not a good bookkeeper. But this old punk rock friend of yours is a really killer fucking bookkeeper. All right. Pay that person. Like I'm not doing my own taxes. I do everything myself. Bookkeeping? Taxes? You fucking... No. You know, and now I'm to the point where I need somebody to help do sewing. I'm at a level because you're like, how do you do that? So like people come in the store and I'm like, do you know how to take care of your jeans? And they'll go, no. Like the average dude is like, no, I don't. Wait, don't, don't mix red with stuff. That's what guys know. Put black things together. But then you explain to them like, hey, your favorite punk rock t-shirts or your favorite rare t-shirts shouldn't get washed with your denim. And they go, oh, why not? I just put all the same colors. And it's like, your denim is beating the shit out of your rare t-shirts and they're not going to last as long. Put your soft things in the same color and your rough things like your denim not together. That is a thing that a dude goes, oh, that makes perfect sense, right? It's taking it beyond just like put white with white and put black <laughs> with black. Because, a, because here's the thing. Men wear their clothes until they disintegrate off of them. And if you can explain to them a way to extend the life of the clothing that they love. I cater to women, but my menswear is, is more important and takes more work. There's less of it. There's less quality. There's less of it that's in good condition. I'm amazed. I, there's other dealers that are around me that have like never come in my store. And I always think that's so fucking weird. Cause I'm like, I went to everybody. I went to everybody within 50 miles of where I was opening my store. I didn't introduce myself. I'm not trying to be your friend. I went through everybody's fucking prices. I went through everybody's shit. I was like, there's no fucking way I quit a fucking corporate job, take all of my savings and open this business and fucking close. Yeah. Whereas I think some people were like, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to make it. And they just made up their mind that they weren't going to make it or they tried to make it happen. I'm like, there's nothing that you can do to make me close. That is not the energy that you fuck with yeah. at all. I just made up my mind. I'm not fucking closing. I'm going to be the fucking best. Why would you want to do a thing and then only kind of be okay at it? I want to be the best. I want to be the best at what I do. Well, speaking of being the best of what you do, <laughs> 
Let's talk about becoming an accidental TikTok influencer. Oh, okay. Well, um, <laughs> have you spent any time on TikTok? I have never like literally ever even opened TikTok one time okay. ever. Okay, so um, when uh, people would come in the store, they're like, oh, I heard about you on Instagram. And so people say, oh, I, you know, I, I heard about you on TikTok. And I would be like, yeah, dude, I'm not on TikTok. Like, I don't know what you kids are doing over there, but I'm not on TikTok. And at the time, I had a young shop assistant uh, who's down to clown. She's very wild. That's her. She does vintage on the side as down to clown. Mm -hmm. She's fucking down to clown. She was like, you know, you're really into education. You should do educational videos. And I was like, yeah, no, fuck that, whatever. And then because I take two months off a year, which people think is totally bizarre. I was doing a thing and I was like, all right, I'll just do a video about it. I didn't think, I didn't overthink it. I'm very much myself. And... Um, I think I did a video like how to repair your denim or something. And then people start asking you questions like how do I wash wool? Or how do I do this? Or how do I do that? And it just kind of went from there. Um, you know, like I said, I got called grandma today on the internet. That was kind of cool. I did something that went really viral. And then like I haven't really looked at my friend requests or things like that because I literally like I went to bed and I woke up and I was like, I have 30 thousand friend requests i'll just never look at that again i mean like okay i work 55 to 60 hours a week when am i literally gonna get 24 hours to figure out my friend request so i was just like oh, i'll just never look at that again i never have the problem is is that when people are online like you either like i do makeup or i do i do painting or i do gardening or dancing or whatever whereas i'm like i talk about music i talk about vintage i talk about history i talk i give life advice as just being old i'm just gonna be myself and if you like that cool and if you don't like that that's also totally okay yeah. so i just do that i just talk about what i want to talk about i don't overthink it and kind of like coming here i didn't i just assume we'd have a conversation And when we weren't having a conversation anymore, we wouldn't be having a conversation anymore. And that's okay. Um, all right. So as we're heading towards the end of the, of the... Is there anything else you want to know about me? I'm going to ask you three increasingly <laughs> difficult questions. Okay. Very hard questions. Okay. And, they might, and they might not be hard for you. Okay. The first one is, I want you to think of three bands that barely anyone knows about, but you think everyone should know about. And they could be... I can do that so fast. They could be really old or they could be now. Three bands. I will go with two current and one not current. Okay, beautiful. One is The Resonars, which is this guy, Matt. He records bands um, in the Southwest. He lives in Tucson. He's a fucking genius. He's yeah. an actual, he should just get paid money to just be a genius. I would say Jeff Burke, who was from the Markmen that does the band Radioactivity is a fucking genius. He records bands. He has great ears. And I would say Still Wool is probably my last one. And I've put out bands that I think are, you know, that have done really amazing music, but they are appreciated now, right? They There's a level of appreciation over, you know, uh, like people love the Lost Sounds or something like that. And those are collectible records and people are searching for them and they are influential to other people but yeah i would say as far as like those three how's that that was easy yeah, very very easy smooth all right what is passion <laughs> <laughs> what's the best lesson you've learned from painful mistake 
Like the, you don't have to tell us about the mistake, but what's the best lesson? Well, that's that, a little harder. Um, can we go to the third one and I'll sure. give that a thought, a thought bubble. Right. Okay. What's a piece of advice that you would give someone who wants to turn something that's been their side hustle, hustle, but that they love, like that they're into, into a business and something they're trying to, trying to make a real go out of? Well, the first thing I would do is do it with your own money. Mm. Because when you take somebody else's money, you can't value it the same way. It's like signing on to a major label, right? When you sign on to a major label and you're not like working with your friends anymore, it's about money, yeah. right? When we go back to the William Shakespeare thing, it's like know thyself is the universal rule, right? I'm not gonna go out and be like, I'm gonna become a chess champion. Don't play chess with me. I'm fucking terrible at it. It's fucking painful. Understand your limitations. Understand what am I really good at? What am I not actually good at? How much money am, am I willing to lose? It should not be gambling, right? Like, oh, I'm gonna make it back. I'm gonna go to the tables and I'll, like, I'll make that money back. I think it takes like knowing your strengths, understanding yourself and being, and being willing to like lose it all, you know, which was really scary. Cause I, I mean, I did think in the pandemic, like, okay, so I just need to accept that like, like I did this thing for 31 days and I'm gonna fucking lose it all. And so is everybody else, yeah. right? And not letting that define you. Yeah. So as far as really big mistakes, dude, I'm making mistakes constantly mm -hmm. and I just try to not do them again. It's really funny. I got a lot of parking tickets, like a string of fucking parking tickets when I first got my license. And I sat down with my mom and she looked at all of them. So I was like, I think I'm kind of in trouble. Like I think, you know, like I kind of put them in the glove box or like not really real. And so my mom sat down with all of them and she was like, well, here's the thing I find really interesting. She goes, none of these are for the same mistake. She's like, this one is for 30 feet at a stop sign. This one is for taking a turn on a no turn. This one is this. And so she looked at all of the tickets like one was a moving violation and all the rest were parking tickets. And she's like, you do learn from your mistakes. <laughs> so once you pay for all of these, it's completely possible that you have literally done every parking mistake that you'll that you'll you'll never do this again because you've learned from it. I make mistakes constantly, all the time. So mm. I don't know if there's one that I've like learned the most fun mm. because I'm making mistakes. It's like, make mistakes, learn from them, don't wreck the company, and like, don't lose a client. If you can just do those two things, like, here's how I do it. If you find a faster way and a better way to do it, come and show me. Don't wreck the company. And I think that's like the healthiest way to like, learn. Heck yeah. And don't be afraid to make mistakes. Oh, I'm not afraid to make mistakes. Heck I'm yeah. constantly falling on my ass. If you're making mistakes constantly, there mm -hmm. isn't one mistake that defines you. Mm -hmm. Like, I probably made three mistakes this morning. I just haven't, like, you know, I haven't been awake at three in the morning to go, fuck. Which, you know, that's what you do. And then you just go, oh, fuck, I just need to go back to sleep. Heck yeah. Just go on. All right. So as we're closing off, any last words, anything you want to say to the audience? No, but I will say the funniest thing about leadership that I've done in my whole life as we're talking about leadership is I coached a roller derby team. And that's actually where I learned to, like, not like coaching women is so fucking weird. But aside from that, yeah, that was punk rock. I was like, oh, I wish the little kids could do this. That, I wish, that would be the best. If I could have done that at six years old, that would have been the greatest thing ever.
yeah. But yeah, thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, this was super interesting. Awesome. All right, everyone, please check out Melody Note Vintage. Uh, I will say that walking in that store, you really feel like, oh, like this is this is cool. Like this is this is this is put together by someone who knows what they're doing and also like legitimately absolutely cares. And I don't even buy vintage clothing because I I'm a guy that was only knows how to wash his jeans with his t-shirts and ruins. Everything. You learned a new thing. I learned a new thing today. So thanks so much for your time. Thank you. And Mike. Drop the beat. One step. One.